When we travel to Maine for our extended family reunion every summer, that is when I know I belong in the truest sense of the word. My mom was one of nine children, and there are 34 cousins in my generation alone, 34 first cousins. We range in age from 76 to 46. Most of us are married with children, if not grandchildren by now. And we're all really different from each other. But somehow walking into the hall where we have our reunion, being related somehow to the Cushing family, you know you belong. We hug each other, we laugh, we cry. We make so many memories in that one day and we catch up with each other. We come from all different parts of the country. Some of my cousins have married or adopted people of color. And so even at our potluck dinner in the evening, there's just all sorts of shades represented. But you know you belong because you're part of the family. I often long for the church to understand that same truth, that because we all belong to Jesus, we're family, and so we love each other, period. We just love each other. been a long time since I stepped into a school cafeteria. But I remember what it feels like, don't you? Wondering where we're going to sit. Our eyes quickly scan the room. Does anybody know me? Are any of my friends here? You don't want to stand there too long or you look like a loser. But you don't want to sit by yourself and you sure don't want to get stuck at the wrong table. What you really wish is that somebody would see you and call your name. Hey, Brian, over here. Come sit with us. Then you'd know, I belong here. Like I said, it's been a long time since I stepped into a school cafeteria. But this whole little scenario here reminds me of my son Brendan's first day at Bedford High School. We moved in here. We moved, uh, moved him here just in time for his uh, freshman year at high school. You can bring that up now. We moved here just in time for his freshman year of high school. It's always tough to be the new kid, but it's especially challenging in Bedford for a couple of reasons. Uh, for one thing, Bedford High School combines both what the middle school in town and the middle school on Hanscom Air Force Base and into one school. So since Brendan was new, all the base kids thought he was a town kid, and all the town kids thought he was a base kid. So he didn't fit anywhere. But what made it really tough was that he insisted on wearing his Yankee hat to school. <laughs> I, I know, I know. I tried to talk him out of it right there on the sidewalk in front of the front door. <laughs> but he was determined. He said, they take me with the hat or they don't take me at all. <laughs> well, you can pretty much guess how that went. He not only ate by himself those first few weeks, he actually ate in the bathroom because <laughs> he didn't want to look like a loser sitting by himself. That story has a better ending, but I'll tell you later in the series, okay? 
does it ever really go away? That longing to belong, to fit in? I don't think so. We feel it again every time we move into a new neighborhood or, or start a new job or try a new church. We look around and wonder, do I belong here? Is there a place for me here? And we can even feel it in places we're familiar with, places we've been for a long time. Because things change over time. People come and go. So one day we look up at a place we used to belong and say, do I still belong here? Is there still a place for me? Brene Brown is a popular author and speaker these days. Her TED Talk on the power of vulnerability is one of the most popular talks of all time. 10 million and more views. Her most recent book is entitled Braving the Wilderness. And in that book, she explores this longing to belong. And she makes the case that belonging, true belonging, is harder than ever in our culture. Given the hectic pace of people's lives, the, the fractious world of social media, the polarizing political climate of our times, the, the, the dysfunctional relationships from home and workplace that we carry with us. All these things leave us feeling more lonely, more isolated, more disconnected than ever. She describes her own teenage trauma, not making the high school drill team and then not, not being understood by her parents. And she says that traumatic experience made a mark on her. She struggled with self-esteem and, and relationships well into her adult life. She puts it this way. These are the moments that when left unspoken and unresolved, send us into our adult lives searching desperately for belonging and settling for fitting in. Now, Brene is writing and speaking to the world and culture at large, but the struggle she's describing, the struggle to belong, you can experience that even in church as well. Because the same forces working against connection in our culture are working against it in the church as well and making it harder than ever to find deep and meaningful relationships, even in the body of Christ. The chances are some of you here today, some of you listening today are wondering, do I belong here? Is there a place for me here? And so in light of these cultural and uh, church realities, this year we're going to focus on the getting closer dimension of our life together as a church. We talk about three core commitments here at Grace Chapel, going deeper in our faith, getting closer to one another, and reaching wider to the world. We're going to focus this year on getting closer. Our ministry theme for this year is belonging, becoming a community of grace. This fall and on into the year, we're going to be talking about what it really means to be a community called the church. What kind of community does God want us to be? And what kind of community can we offer to the world around us? So this fall, we're going to go to the New Testament book of Romans, a letter written to, to a thriving church, a diverse congregation located at the capital city of, of the Roman Empire in the first century, a time when the, the members of the church found themselves at odds, not only with the culture around them, but at odds with each other, struggling over who really belonged in the church. The apostle Paul had big plans for that church. 
And he couldn't bear to see these believers, these brothers and sisters in Christ, harming each other and derailing their mission in the world. And so he writes them this letter called Romans, the longest of all his letters and perhaps the most magnificent, addressing this problem. And so we can't look at the whole book this fall. It's just too long. We're going to focus on the latter part of the book, chapters 12 through 16, but we'll dip into the early chapters as well. And each week, we'd like to identify one of the marks of true community in hopes of discovering how we can experience true belonging in the church, not just for ourselves, but that we might offer true belonging to a world that's desperately looking for it. So with that in mind, we'll get to chapter 12 in just a minute. Let's jump into the first few verses of this letter to the Romans, verses, verse, chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and on through verse 7. Let's just get a sense for what's happening here in this letter. Romans chapter 12, and beginning at verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. Now, right away, we discover why this ancient letter is so relevant to our times and to this idea of true belonging. The church in Rome was made up of both Jews and Gentiles. In other words, people who had been born, believers who'd been born and raised in the Jewish tradition and had come to faith in Christ as Messiah, but also people from non-Jewish backgrounds, Gentiles, who had come from other traditions and also had become followers of Jesus Christ. And it was a large and thriving church. But about 10 or 15 years into that church's existence, the emperor Claudius for political reasons, expelled all of the Jews from Rome, including Rome, Jews who were part of the church. And so for the next few years, the church in Rome compri was comprised entirely of Gentiles. A few years later, the Jews were permitted to come back. And so these Jewish believers returned to their church to find it had changed dramatically. The Jewish laws and customs were no longer being valued and observed because the Gentiles weren't familiar with them and didn't value them. And these Jewish believers, now in the minority and out of power, suddenly felt as though they didn't belong in their own church, a church they had been in from the very beginning. And so there's this running debate, this division even, in the church at Rome over who truly belongs. And if you think I'm making this up just to fit this series... Listen to what we read in verse 6. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. There's that word, belonging. Paul is telling the believers there, all of them, Jews and Gentiles, that they all belong to the body of Christ. And in the rest of the letter, he's going to tell them why. Before we jump to chapter 12, let's just pause for a moment and understand why this is so important to us today, and how this first century church in Rome is so similar to our 21st century church in Boston and here at Grace Chapel in particular. See, there were people in this church who felt like they didn't belong. 
The Jews felt like they didn't belong because they'd been around for a long time, but the thing had changed while they were away. And the Gentiles weren't sure they belonged because they didn't have the same pedigree as the Jewish believers. And I wonder if you've ever felt that way. If you've ever wondered if you really belong in the church or in this church. Maybe you grew up in the church, but now as a, as a young adult, you're wondering if this is still the place for you. Maybe you helped to build the church, to build this church, but the church has changed. And you're wondering if, if you're still valued around here, if there's still a place for you. Maybe you're newer to church, new to Grace Chapel. And as you look around, you wonder, will I ever belong here? Do I want to belong here? So I think this letter has a lot to say to us. Whether you're new to church or been around a long time or you're still just checking the whole thing out. And the reason this belonging thing is so important to Paul, the reason it's so important to me and to us, is that Paul believed that God had big plans for this church in Rome. He wanted to make Rome the launching pad for his next mission, taking the good news of Christ to the far corners of the empire, all the way to Spain, where it had never been preached before. But Paul knew that if this was going to be a launching pad, if these believers in Rome didn't belong to each other, then they would have nothing to offer to the world around them. And I happen to believe a very similar thing. I believe that the Lord has big plans for this church, for Grace Chapel. I think we are uniquely positioned by God to reach people who, who, who may never have heard or understood or received the good news of Jesus Christ. People in our communities, in our city, and all around the world. But if we don't if we don't experience true belonging as believers, then we don't have true belonging to offer to anybody else. So this is critically important for us. So with all that in mind, let's jump ahead now to Romans 12 and, chapter, and verse 5. This is going to be the key verse for this morning and really the key verse for our whole series, Romans 12, verse 5. We're just going to jump right into the middle of a paragraph where we read, So in Christ... We, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Well, there it is again, that word, belong. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Now, let's just sit with this verse for a minute, because this is the starting point of true belonging. Look at that, that central phrase there. We, though many, form one body. It turns out the church in Rome was a big church. Paul says there are we, though many. Now, we don't know exactly how this church started. Chances are it was started by pilgrims who had been in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. The day the Holy Spirit fell, Peter preached the gospel. Thousands believed from all over the world, we're told. And some of them were from Rome, apparently, and took the gospel back to Rome with them, where the gospel caught on quickly, apparently, and the church quickly grew to a large and significant size. So this is a large church. And so is Grace Chapel. I don't like to brag, but my fall pastoral letter went out to 5,000 households. That's probably way more than Paul's letter went to. <laughs> now, Chances are, 
No one's reading that letter 2,000 years from now, okay? <laughs> I'm just saying. The point is, this is a big place. We'll have probably about 4,000 people worshiping with us this weekend across all our locations. And that can be a challenge when it comes to belonging. Do I really matter in a place like this? Am I known and valued? Will someone miss me if I don't show up? So size can be a challenge. This church at Rome was also a diverse church. When Paul says, we though many, he doesn't mean just many different, many numbers of people. He means many kinds of people. Because we know there, there are both Jews and Gentiles here in this church, and that's a racial issue as well as a religious issue in those days. Later on in the letter, we learn that there's slaves and then there's free citizens, that there's upper class aristocrats and there are working class people. There are men and there are women. Rome is a cosmopolitan city with people from all over the empire coming and going. So there were all kinds of people in the city and in the church. And the same thing is true in Boston, of course, and the same thing is true at Grace Chapel. I've lost track of how many languages and ethnicities we have represented here at Grace. I know that about a third of our congregation trace their origins to, to Africa or Asia or Latin America or, or even to, to native people here in North America. But I also know that if, if, if you're a person of color, if, if English is your second or maybe your third language, you could step into a church like this and wonder if, if you really belong. If, if you've been worshiping in a, in a monocultural church, a Korean church, a Haitian church, a predominantly white church, you can look around and wonder, is there a place here for me? Are these my people? We're a white collar and we're blue collar. We are Republicans and Democrats and independents. We are builders and boomers and Gen Xers and millennials and iGens and whoever comes after them. <laughs> and and that's a beautiful thing. It makes this a beautiful, colorful congregation. And we're thrilled about that. But it can also make relationships and belonging challenging. Because any given Sunday, you could stop and look at the people sitting around you. You could overhear a political conversation in the hallway. You could watch the way someone else worships and wonder to yourself if I belong here. So the church in Rome was large, it was diverse, and it was also scattered. Now, we think multi-site churches are a 21st century invention. Hardly. It's, it, was, it was invented in the very first century. The church in Rome didn't meet in one place. It met in various locations all across the city, houses and public places. And when Paul, the apostle, had something to say to the church in Rome, he wrote a letter. And that letter would be passed around and read out loud at every one of those campuses, I mean congregations. <laughs> and you can be sure, if they had YouTube or live streaming in those days, Paul would have used it. I heard a preacher say recently he has a problem with multi-site churches. Well, then he would have had a problem with the church in Rome or Corinth or Ephesus or any of them. The church in Rome was spread out across many locations, and so is Grace Chapel. Five campuses and, and people watching online and who knows how many other places. 
can you really belong to a church like that? Where the preacher's on a screen? Can you belong to a church that's so large and so diverse and so scattered? If we're going to answer that question, we better understand what belonging really means. So let's pause for a minute and ask, what does it mean to belong? According to the dictionary, belonging means to be in the right place or a suitable place, to be a member or a part of something. So in other words, to belong is to have the sense that you are part of something, something larger than yourself, that, that you're part of a place, a, a place where you're known and you're valued and you have a role to play. That's why we all want someone to sit with in the school cafeteria. And that's why in school we sort ourselves into all kinds of groups or, or cliques. There's the jocks and the brains and the gamers and the geeks and the skaters and the stoners and the loners and the haters. Even the loners want to be in a group. <laughs> we want to know who our people are. We want to know where we fit. And that stuff doesn't go away after high school. It's, it's why we join clubs. It's why we for, form teams at work. It's why we stand with the same group of parents on the sidelines at the soccer game. It's why we wear T-shirts with the name of a band on them. It's why we wear hats with the insignia of a team on them. It's a way of saying, I'm with them. I'm from here. And it's one of the reasons we come to church. Now, for sure, we come to church because we're seeking God. We want to make a connection with the divine, whatever that looks like. But we also want to make a connection with other people who are making that same kind of a journey. But finding true belonging, even in a church, can be challenging, especially a church that's big and diverse and spread out. So what's the answer? Well, if belonging is about being connected, if it's about being part of something larger, then that something has to be large enough, has to be strong enough, has to be compelling enough to bring people together and to keep them together. Has to be strong enough to, to, to bring, overcome all of our differences, all of our fears, all of our self-interest. And here in this one verse, Paul tells us what that something is, or rather, who that someone is. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the others. Did you catch it? Those two little words, in Christ. Now, we've talked about those words before. We did a whole series called En Christo. Remember that? 12 weeks on what it means to be in Christ. It's one of Paul's favorite expressions. He uses it over and over. So in Christ, we who are many form one body. Paul's telling us that Jesus is the one who brings us together. Jesus is the one who connects us to each other. I mean, Jesus is the reason we're here today. I mean, why else would we all be here today? Why would we give up an hour or two or three on a weekend to be here? Why would you drive 20 or 30 minutes, some of you, to get wherever it is you're participating in the service today? Why in the world would you sing out loud in public? 
or put your hard-earned money into an offering plate or listen to some guy talk to you on a screen, no less, for 30 minutes. Jesus is the reason we're here because of who he is, of what he said, of what he did. Jesus is so compelling. He's so intriguing. He's so, he's so beautiful that we come together to learn more about him, to seek him and to follow him. Whether you're curious or you're committed, whether you're seeking or following, you're here to some degree because of Jesus. And Paul's telling us only Christ is big enough to capture the imagination of so many people. Only Christ is beautiful enough to come overcome all of our differences. And only Christ is strong enough to keep us connected across miles and places. Well, at this point, I'm going to take a page out of Dave Ripper's playbook <laughs> and use a flip chart for just a few minutes. Oops. Oh, should I leave this over here? I think I forgot. I need to be over here. Okay. Now, we've done this before, but um, I, I asked this, I, I brought this idea to our staff this week, and they all look at me with blank faces. So either I did a lousy job of it the first time, or it's been a really long time. So sociologists tell us there are two ways of creating community, of, of forming a group of people. And one of them is to define the boundaries of that community. And we call this a bounded set. So let's say, for instance, we want to define the community called Red Sox Nation, okay? <laughs> one way to do that is to define the boundaries. So let's say members of Red Sox Nation live in New England, uh, they've been to Fenway Park. Uh, they wear Red Sox gear. And they hate the New York Yankees, okay? <laughs> we would say anyone who fits in this space, who meets these criteria, they're members of Red Sox Nation. And on the one hand, that's true. But on the other hand, it leaves out a whole lot of people. Because there are Red Sox fans who don't live in New England and never did. There are Red Sox fans who've never been to Fenway Park or who don't wear Red Sox gear or who don't hate... Well, maybe they all hate the New York Yankees, <laughs> but it doesn't include everybody. So bounded sets are nice and clean. You know who's in and who's out, but they're often inaccurate and limiting and incomplete. So there's a second way to form a set. And this one we call a centered set. And in a centered set, you don't define the boundaries, you define the center. And members of the set, of the community, are, are identified by virtue of their relationship to the center. So again, if we want to define Red Sox Nation, we would put... Red Sox right there at the center. And anybody who's oriented towards following, rooting for the Red Sox, they're a member of Red Sox Nation. Now, they might live in New England, but they might live in New Mexico. They might live in New Zealand, 
But if they're following the Red Sox, they're members of Red Sox Nation. Now, some of them, some may be Red Sox fans to a greater degree than others. Some of them may be closer or more enthusiastic than others. If they live in Boston, perhaps, or if they have season tickets to Fenway Park, or if they have a dog named Fenway, whatever it might be. <laughs> there's greater degrees of fandom, and there's greater closeness to the center. But if you're following the Red Sox in any measure at all, wherever you are and whoever you are, according to the centered set thinking, you're a member of Red Sox Nation. Now, you can see where this is headed, okay? Let's say we're defining the community called the church. There are two ways of doing that. We can define the church like this as a bounded set. And we might say, everyone who meets a certain criteria is a member of the church. So we might say, if you've received Christ as your Savior. Uh, we might say, you've been baptized. Maybe you have affirmed a certain creed. And uh, let's say you attend regularly. Anybody who fits those categories is a member of the church. And that works. It's certainly one way to define the church. And everybody gets it. You know who's in and who's out. The problem is it, it leaves a lot of people out. Another way to define the community called the church is to define its center. To put Jesus at the center. And to say anyone who's oriented towards Jesus is a member of the community. Anyone who's seeking or following Jesus is a member of the community. Now, it could be someone who's very close to Jesus, someone maybe who grew up in the church and has followed Jesus their whole life. It could be someone who is a little bit distant from Jesus. They believe, but they're not as active as they could be, not as active as they used to be. It could be someone who has had no spiritual interest at all, but they're just a little bit curious for the first time in their lives about this person called Jesus. All of them are members of the community because it's a centered set. They've oriented their lives around Jesus. So there are two ways of looking at what, what the church is. And what I want you to understand is that we are this kind of a church. We are a centered community. We are a community of people who are seeking and following Jesus in some measure. Some for longer or shorter times than others, some with greater degrees of intensity than others, but we are all seeking and following Jesus. We are not an in or out church. We are not an us and them church. We are an all together church. We are all seeking and following Jesus together. Because in Christ, we who are many form one body. Now, a couple things we should be clear about. First, the center really is Jesus. It's not religion. It's not church. It's not spirituality. It's the person and work of Jesus Christ as he's revealed in the scriptures as we best understand him. Only Jesus is big enough and beautiful enough and strong enough to bring so many people together from so many different backgrounds across so many different places and locations. Only Jesus can do that. And I want you to know, Jesus is the reason I'm here. Jesus captured my imagination as a five-year-old boy, and he's never lost it my whole life. 
That's why I've been in the church my whole life. It's why I've devoted my life to serving and building his church. It's because of Jesus. Apart from Jesus, friends, I have nothing to say to you on a Sunday. I really don't. And apart from Jesus, we have really nothing to offer the world other than, than any other club or organization might offer to them. This church always has been, always will be centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ. We are a Christ-centered community. Amen. Amen. The second thing I'd want to make clear is that there certainly are decisions to be made along your way towards the center. So at some point, you'll need to decide if you're just a seeker of Jesus or if you're a follower of Jesus. Have you trusted Jesus to forgive you and give you a fresh start in life now and forever? That's a decision to make. And another point, you might decide to be baptized as a public profession of your faith in Christ. At another point, you might choose to become a formal member of a church as a way of expressing your commitment to that congregation. And that's fine. Those are all steps to be made along the way. But if you're, if you're on the way, you're in. You belong. And as believers, we always need to be asking ourselves where we are in relationship to the center. How close are we to Jesus? Are we closer this year than we were last year? Are we intentionally moving closer to him? Or have we perhaps gotten stuck somewhere along the way for some weeks or months or years? Or have we perhaps begun to drift slightly away from Jesus? That can happen. But understand, even if those things happen, if you're stuck, if you're drifting, if Jesus is still part of the picture, you belong here because we are a community of people who are focused on Jesus. If you're seeking Jesus, if you're following Jesus, you belong here. So that's the thought I'd like to leave you with today. We truly belong to each other as we truly belong to Christ. We truly belong to each other as we truly belong to Christ. Now, I choose my words very carefully there. Because my first stab at it, at it was we, we truly belong to each other when we truly belong to Christ. But when is so binary. It's so bounded. It sounds like it's a one-off transaction, one and done. But for most of us, the journey of faith and the journey to belonging is more like a journey. It takes time. It's a process. There are degrees of belonging along the way. But the more truly we are seeking Jesus, the more truly we're following Jesus, the more truly we experience belonging to him and to his community. So friends, wherever you are as you listen today, however near or far you may feel to Jesus and the church, however new or old you may be to the church, know that you belong here if you are in any way seeking or following Jesus. Now on this first Sunday of this series, the first Sunday of, of this new year, I'd simply like to ask you, how centered are you feeling? And which direction are you moving in? Towards Jesus? Are you stuck? Are you drifting? And today, we'd like to give you an opportunity to recenter yourself around Jesus as we recenter our community around Jesus. And we'd like to do that by celebrating communion together on all of our campuses. Now, I know we typically do that on the first Sunday of the month. But, but we felt like what a better way to express the centeredness of our community around Jesus 
What better way to actually move towards Jesus than to come to the communion table? So we're going to give you an opportunity to do that on all of your campuses, and we'll dismiss you to do that in just a moment. We're going to replace the cafeteria table with a communion table. Because we all remember how it feels to step into that lunchroom and wonder if you fit in. Is anyone looking for you? Turns out someone is. His name is Jesus. And he's inviting you to sit at his table. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for these moments we've had to be together, the beginning of a new season. Thank you for everyone who's here, for their enthusiasm, their readiness, their eagerness, their expectancy. Thank you for the promise of these words we've read today and the challenge of them as well. Thank you, Lord, that belonging is as simple as seeking you. So we pray that in these moments, by your Holy Spirit, you might speak to us, each of us, and give us the grace to take a step towards you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.